All right, church family and guests, so glad to have you here with us. We um, have been in a series called Encounters with Jesus, and every year we try to refocus on what we're about here, what we value, what our vision is, namely to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. And so we, we dig into places like the Gospels where we look at who Jesus is and, and what he calls his people to. And so we've been looking at the life of Jesus and a number of encounters that he had in the Gospel of Luke with people or that people had with him in the Gospel of Luke and some of the teachings that resulted from those encounters where he would teach them about the kingdom of God, teach them about what, what God has designed them for and designed us for as his followers. And so today we're going to look at a parable that is unique to uh, Luke's gospel. It's called the parable of the fool. And I've titled this message, A Stuffed Life Versus a Kingdom Life. Now we're not just going to look at the parable of the fool. We're going to start there. But then we're going to look at Jesus' teaching in light of this issue of possessions and money and wealth. The Bible has a lot to say about our relationship to what we have. God warns us a number of places in Scripture about things not having us and, and, and how they can lead our hearts astray from the Lord. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon or money, right? And so Jesus talked a lot about this because, not because he was a prosperity preacher, he wasn't. He talked a lot about this because the hearts of mankind is, is, is often connected to their treasure. Well, he said it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus was aiming for the hearts of people when he preached, when he taught. He wanted people's hearts to be turned towards God. He wanted people to be rich with God in relationship with God and with community. He wasn't so much concerned about having people having a lot of stuff. Actually, Jesus chose to live a life of poverty. He stepped into this world and, and was born into a poor family. And he lived a full life, a good life. Though he only lived 33 years or so, he lived for the glory of the Father. He, and he sought the kingdom. He brought the kingdom. He declared the kingdom and so we're going to look at two, two visions for life. One is perhaps uh, influenced highly by the, the American culture, the American dream. I'm calling it the stuffed life, a life that is filled with stuff, 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 materialism. It's the air we breathe in. We live in a wealthy nation, and we have so much and when you compare what we have to other parts of the world, we are, we are wealthy. And when you compare what we have in, in our day to other generations, we are wealthy. God has provided greatly a bunch of stuff. And so we must guard against how we relate to those things. So let us pray and let us dig in. Father, give us a vision for a kingdom life this morning. Expose the folly of a materialistic life. Teach us your ways. Lead us into your paths, onto your agenda. God, deliver us where our hearts are anxious. 
deliver us where our hearts are grasping for more. And may we find contentment in you and may we find the rhythms and the pursuit in this life that you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke 12, starting in verse 13. So two weeks ago, I preached on the first half of Luke 12. We're gonna look at this, this section here. Luke 12, starting in verse 13. As Jesus was teaching, we, uh, last, two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus teaching on the fear of the Lord, and he warned his disciples about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then he went into a teaching on the fear of the Lord and how we are to fear God and not people. Okay, and so as Jesus is teaching, someone interrupts his sermon. Some, someone interrupts his message. And here we pick up in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For your life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither uh, store, have storehouse. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about, you, about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. All God's people said, amen. So here's our big idea this morning. Jesus calls his followers to guard against covetousness and worry and counter it, counter it by having, having eternal perspective and a kingdom pursuit. He calls his followers to guard against covetousness or worry and worry and to counter it by having an eternal perspective and a kingdom pursuit. Now, let's just talk a little bit about this context here. As Jesus was teaching, there was a man who was listening to the teaching, and he speaks up and he interrupts the sermon. It must be very important to somebody if they're going to interrupt the sermon, right, the teaching time. Hey, hey, tell my brother to give me my portion of the inheritance. So often the Jews would look to rabbis and teachers to speak into these ethical situations, and we don't know exactly what the situation was, whether the older brother as the, in the, the um, Old Testament in Deuteronomy says that the firstborn is able to get a double portion, right? And we don't know exactly if it was an unjust situation or not. Jesus doesn't even go into it. He doesn't even stoop down to addressing the issue because Jesus didn't come into the world to bring stuff into people's lives. He came into the world to bring people to God. And God the people. And so he's telling Jesus, not, he's demanding, hey, tell my brother to, to give me my portion of the inheritance. There's some conflict obviously going on here in this situation. And, and some of us may know about situations like this. When, when a father or mother dies, when parents die and the siblings are left to divide the inheritance and there can be some family tensions. It can get really ugly. Greed and covetousness can be exposed in those kinds of situations. When, when children feel like, well, I need my portion. I need to get mine. And greed and covetousness can be toxic and corrode relationships. It can damage our relationships. And so Jesus doesn't even go there into that specific situation that seems very petty compared to the big issue of the heart that was at hand, namely covetousness and greed. He doesn't even go into it. He doesn't follow that rabbit trail. He goes right into verse 15, and he says this. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. He warns, he gives a warning here, guard against this. This is one of the big 10, by the way, one of the, the 10th commandment, one of the big 10. You shall not covet anything that your neighbor has. You shall not desire it, right? That's one of the 10 commandments. And God's 10 commandments, those moral standards still apply to Christians today. We see them endorsed and repeated uh, in the New Testament in various forms. They're, they reveal the holiness of God. They reveal the nature of God. They reveal, the Ten Commandments reveal the design that God has for human life to flourish within. They don't make us right with God, but they reveal what sin is, and they reveal the holiness of God and God's holy standard for living. And Jesus endorsed them, and, and from the essence of the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet, he says, guard against that. Guard against that. Don't let that creep in. Now, at the beginning of the chapter, he's already warned about hypocrisy, which is, is corrupting to the soul. 
Now he's warning about greed and covetousness or materialism, which is also corrupting to the soul and damaging to the soul and damaging to relationships. It seems that this man in the crowd had some tension, some conflict, some damage in his relationship with his brother over this portion, whether it was a just or unjust situation or not. Jesus says the bigger issue here is that we should guard against covetousness. Our relationships are more important than our stuff. Our relationship with God is more important than our stuff. Our relationship with our family is more important than our stuff. Our relationship with the body of Christ is more important than our stuff. And so Jesus makes this profound statement here. Actually, before we go into that, let's talk a little bit about what covetousness and greed is. Warren Wearsby describes covetousness as this. He says, covetousness is the unquenchable thirst for getting more and more of something we think we need in order to truly be satisfied. I just want more. Give me a little more, right? Greed, Daryl Bach says, the essence of greed is keeping what resources God brings your way for yourself. And these are, this is what Jesus is warning against. And then he gives a, a reason, he gives a, a number of reasons, but one specifically within this verse, verse 15, of why we should guard against it, why we shouldn't be sucked in to the lure of materialism. And here's, the, here's why. This is a philosophy on life. This is a worldview that Jesus is teaching here that should affect how we live and how we make decisions and how we relate to our stuff and to one another. He says this, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's a profound statement for, I should just say, selah, as, as the Psalms say. Pause, reflect on that. Let that sink in. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. Now, if somebody were to ask you to describe what's the good life, what's the blessed life, what's the happy life, how would you answer that? Would in your answer, would you have a description of having a bunch of stuff? Because that is not what is necessary for a blessed life, a good life, or a happy life. Actually, having a bunch of stuff can make, make your life more miserable if you don't know how to handle it well. Our material, our possessions, our money is a great tool, but it's a terrible master that will suck the life out of us if we don't handle it in a way that honors God and helps others. So life is not about having stuff. If it were, Jesus would have been living it up those 33 years that he was here, and he would have lived a good full, maybe to 100 or so or more, and, and had a bunch of stuff and been very wealthy. It's not about having stuff. Jesus lived a short life, and he lived a life that was free of being encumbered by a bunch of stuff because he was seeking first the kingdom. And people are more important. Relationship with God and relationship with others is more important than having a bunch of stuff. Having stuff doesn't equal happiness. Having stuff doesn't equal happiness. Having stuff doesn't equal security. It can actually bring about more insecurity, more worry, more fear, 
Life here is brief, and we can't take our possessions with us. Hearst usually aren't pulling U-Haul trailers behind them. And that's because we can't take stuff with us. Nobody's like, okay, bury it all with me, put it in the ground with me. No, you can't take it with you. Our lives here are very brief, and the stuff, the physical stuff that we have in this life is not gonna be able to transfer to heaven with us unless, as Jesus teaches, we share it. We honor God with it. We be generous and live a life of generosity. Possessing wealth doesn't equal happiness. Some of the the most wealthiest people of their day, here's a couple of quotes from from some of them. The care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. W.H. Vanderbilt. John Jacob said, I am the most miserable man on earth. J. John Rockefeller said, I have made, made many millions, but they brought, me to no, they brought me no happiness. Millions seldom, millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford says, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. And so we see, we may see people who are in the, possessing millions and billions, and we may think that's the good life. Don't buy into the lie, the philosophy that having a bunch of stuff equals the good life or the happy life or the blessed life. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Jesus defines what the blessed life is. Jesus teaches his followers what life is truly about. He, He displayed it and he declared it. He taught it what life is truly about. He summed it up in in, uh, summary of the Old Testament. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Life is about relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. And covetousness is destructive. A nagging desire for more than what you want, than what you have, it diminishes your enjoyment of what you have. It destroys your relationships. It distracts you from God. It dishonors God who has graciously provided, provided you what you have. And it demonstrates an ingratitude and discontentment. And so let us be a people who are on guard against covetousness and greed. And let us find contentment in Christ. Some of you have seen the TV show, the well-known TV show, Hoarders. And these are some extreme examples of people who have been plagued by materialism. Um, The description of the show is this, that Hoarders is often a painful look inside a disease that can bury its sufferer, literally at times. And its symptoms. Each hour-long episode profiles two people on the verge of a personal crisis, all caused by the fact that they are unable to part with even the tiniest of possessions. 
and, and the cumulative effect becomes a mountain of junk and garage overtaking their home or apartment. If they don't respond to, to professional help, the consequences sometimes involve eviction, kids being taken away, or even jail time. Now, these are extreme examples, right? And, and, and the example that, that, that Jesus gives in this parable uh, is it, it really, the, the parable of the rich fool, it's really like a business guy who's like, hey, here's a good plan. Here's a good plan. I'm doing really good on my crops, and I can get a whole lot more. Let's get a whole lot more. And so he decides to tear down what he has. He's, he's not necessarily uh, um, exact, well, he, he does kind of hoard, but, uh, but, he, but he, he's thinking about himself. Let's just look at this. He's, he told him the parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and drink. Be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And so notice in this man's life, there's not a description of, of God. He's not thinking about how am I going to honor God with this. He's, he, you don't see any statements about how am I going to help other people with this. It's all self-focused. It's all me, my, and I. And it lures him into complacency. It lures, it lures him into a very dangerous place. While he perceives himself to be very wealthy, from God's perspective, he is very poor and wretched. Jesus said, so it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself. He's not rich toward God. And so this rich fool had more than he needed. Fools in the Old Testament are described as those who disregard God and God's ways and God's design and God's wisdom. And so he had more than he needed. That's not a bad thing. God provides often more than what we need. If we have more, uh, more than clothes and shelter and food and the basic necessities of life, anything on top of that's more than what we need, right? God provides more often, and he, and he gives us the opportunity to be generous with that. He made plans that didn't include God and others. He was lured away towards complacency. He didn't prepare for life beyond this world. What's so terrible, one of the things that's so terrible about this this parable, this rich fool, God calls him a fool, is, is not so much what he left behind and in, in all the stuff. Well, that's not, that, that just, you know, bothers many of us. Like, gosh, you know, you, store, you didn't even use it while you were here very well. But what's even worse about the story is, is his future, his future without God. Okay, those who live lives without God here in this life are facing an eternity without God. And that's just a scary, dangerous place to be for anybody because our lives here are so short and so brief and we can't take all that stuff with us. Proverbs tells us that riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. 
And so his foolish actions led to him not being prepared to give an account to God. So Jesus teaches us a better way of life. He teaches us to make better investments. From an earthly perspective, it may have seemed like a really good business plan that this rich fool had. Like, harness, harness it and get more. You know, you got so much coming in, you got to store it all. Well, when in the Old Testament, I mean, there's no mention of tithing here, and there's no mention, uh, mention of giving to the poor here. You see, in the Old Testament, it required that of, of Jews, and, and it, also, it required that, the, that Jewish farmers would, would leave the corner of their crops, not harvest all the way to the corner of their crops, so that the poor can come and receive and, and get from it. So they were to leave margin. For the poor, he wasn't even thinking about that. He was just thinking about getting it all in his barn so that he can have more and be at ease selfishly. So then Jesus goes on to teach his disciples. While covetousness and greed is a big problem that, that corrupts the soul and damages relationships, there's also another problem that we face, and it's the problem of worry. This is a more tolerable sin amongst Christians. We can be anxious and just think about and worry and fret over all the things in our life, that, things that could go wrong, things that, stuff that might happen or what won't happen. And this is a heart posture that doesn't reflect trust in God, a good father. Verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat and your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Again, Jesus is giving a worldview here, a philosophy on life, a perspective on life. Your life is more important than the things that you have and it's more important than the package that your body's wrapped in. Okay? And, and, and the, the food that you're able to experience. You have a soul, you have a person inside of you. And who you are is eternal. And other people are eternal. And so he says, don't worry about the external things. Resist the inclination to worry. So this is a problem. I probably don't have to commit, convince most of us here that this is a problem in our day and perhaps even in some of your lives. Anxiety has a way of invading our lives and choking the life and joy and peace out of us to where we feel uh, suffocated. And it can even damage our physical health. And that too damages our relationships. Worry also puts major stress on our relationships. It distracts us. So here's a couple of uh, statistics here. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. 40 million Americans over the age of 18 are affected by anxiety, roughly 18% of the nation's population. Another fact here is that uh, anxiety can cause and exasperate physical illness. Besides physical symptoms of discomfort directly associated with anxiety, such as an upset stomach, for example, 
Evidence suggests that people who suffer from anxiety are also at greater risk for developing a number of chronic health conditions. Most doctors acknowledge the mind-body connection, a relationship between your physical health and your emotional state. And it's logical to suspect that a mind that has a continual state of anxiety or emotional distress can make the body more susceptible to disease. Anxiety has been linked to multiple chronic health conditions, including heart disease, respiratory ailments. Anxiety is also a prime suspect and a contributor to substance abuse because many people who suffer from anxiety disorders tend to turn to alcohol or drugs to calm or numb their anxious feelings. And so this is a problem. And Jesus addressed it. And Jesus knew that his disciples, including his followers, Christians, his disciples will struggle with this and must resist this, must fight against the inclination to worry. Corey Ten Boom, who lived during the Holocaust and was key in, in uh, saving a number of Jewish people's lives and experienced the concentration camps, makes this statement about worry. She says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, It empties today of its strength. It zaps you of your strength. It steals the strength out of of today when we give ourselves over to worry. Worry hinders the word impacting your life. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus already addressed this when he told the the parable of the, the good, the, the, parable of the sower and sowing the seeds in the four different types of soil. One of them was the thorns, where the the seed of God's word fell among thorns, and when it started to grow, the life was choked out of any fruitfulness occurring. And he describes that as the cares and riches and pleasures of life, so that the fruit does not mature. And so this is a problem. This is a problem that you and I must face and not tolerate, We must face it. It's a heart issue. And again, Jesus is going for the heart. Covetousness is a heart issue. And worry is a heart issue. And Jesus wants to reign in your heart over these areas. And so why why shouldn't we worry? Jesus gives us about nine or ten reasons in this text why we shouldn't worry. First of all, he commands us. He's our Lord. And if he says don't worry, we should obey him, right? Right? Can we all agree to that? That's foundational. Jesus says, don't worry. Okay, you said it, Jesus. We're gonna, with your help, obey that. Um, Life consists of more than material things. Life is, is not, again, it's not about having stuff and we don't have to worry about having stuff. It's, the, it's what's on the inside, right? When you go to the store to purchase something, you don't go merely to get the package, you don't just want the bottle, an empty bottle or an empty a wrapper. You want the content that's inside of it. And Jesus is saying the content of life, it's not the package. It's not the stuff, the external that, that everybody's going after. And he, he gives us some beautiful thoughts in, about creation for us to consider. God feeds the birds, and you're more valuable than them. And actually, he says ravens in, in, in this passage. And ravens were considered an unclean bird in the Old Testament. And God cared for the ravens. He took care of the ravens. They didn't have to worry about where they were going to get their next meal. God took care of them. 
Jesus teaches that it's futile to worry. I mean, who can add anything to your life, the span of your life? You can't make yourself bigger or taller. You can't make your life longer by worrying. It's futile. It's foolish. And then he says, God clothes the, flow- the flowers of the field, the lilies and the grass. And you're more valuable to God than the flowers and the grass and the birds. If you're struggling with an anxious heart, you may just need to take a good walk to the park and talk to the Father and reflect on the beauty of his creation, his good creation that he graciously provides for every day. Or maybe wake up early enough to where you can hear the birds chirping, enjoying life, and you can see the sunrise coming up. And just allow your heart to be ministered to by the goodness of God displayed in creation. He's good. He opens his hands and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. And unbelievers, those who don't know God, are preoccupied with this pursuit of stuff. Shopping, shopping, shopping. Shopping therapy, right? Um, they're, they're preoccupied with shopping, with getting stuff, even the stuff that the clothes or food, preoccupied with food. Now, we all enjoy some good food, right? And that's a gift from God. But we shouldn't allow our lives to be distracted and consumed by food and clothes. We should allow God to rule in our hearts. Living anxiously demonstrates a lack of faith. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you, you of little faith. When, when, when we're worried about our life and, and having enough, it, it displays that we're not trusting God. We bought into another narrative. We believed another lie, another worldview that does, that's inconsistent with the biblical worldview. Jesus tells us that God is your heavenly father. You have God as your father, the wealthiest person in the universe, the wisest person in the universe, the strongest person in the universe. He's your dad. You have inheritance. I love, I love what David said in Psalm 16, um, The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Surely I have a good inheritance. Or what Asaph said in Psalm 73 as he's grieved over and and, and pained by seeing the prosperity of wicked people in this life who seem to be at ease and they're just living it up with no care for God and he's starting to feel like, gosh, did I, am I living a pure life in vain? And he said it was too painful to him until he went into corporate worship And he was reminded of their end, the people who live like that, their end. And he was reminded that God is always with them. God is holding his hand. And and God is better. God is, is the portion of his heart and his strength forever. And those who abandon him will perish. But he says, it's good for me to be near God. God is enough. He is enough for us. Hebrews 13 tells us one of the reasons why we should keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have is because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you. My presence is enough. My grace is enough. My loving kindness is better than life. Do we believe that about God? It will affect our emotional life if we do. It'll affect how we spend our time. It'll affect our speech. It will affect our spending. It will affect our lives. 
Your heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask him. And it's not solely up to you to meet your own needs. Of course, you and I need to work. The Bible teaches us, God, to work. If a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat, right? Paul said, and, and God created mankind for work, and there's responsibility. But ultimately, God is our provider. He's the one that's taking care of us. And he's our good, good father, our heavenly father. Jesus said, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So is it a stuffed life that you want? A life that's filled with stuff. Empty stuff. Temporary stuff. Stuff that's passing away. Stuff that means nothing in eternity. Stuff that will distract you from your relationships. The gift of your relationships you have here. And the gift of your relationship with God. Is it a stuffed life that you want? Or is it a kingdom life that you want? And Jesus paints a better picture for us. He gives us a better narrative. He gives us a better story for us to enter into. He teaches us a better way to live in verse 31. He says, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. The things that you need are going to be taken care of. And it's important that you do pray about those things. Give us this day our daily bread. It's important that you mention to the Father that you desire and you need those things. He already knows we need to ask, but it's also, it's important that we prioritize the kingdom and his will in our prayers. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we can talk to God about the things that we need in our lives and, and combat the worry that we experience, the anxiety that we experience that gnawing, that gnawing desire for more that we may experience when we've already been given what we need. There's, just, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rest in just being content with the simplicity that God's given you in life. There's just Sometimes having more just complicates our lives and, and makes it more unrestful, you know? So Jesus says, fear not, little flock. Again, he's uh, repeating, you know, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't, don't fear. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that do not fail, where, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. There's security. If you want a bank that, that will securely take care of your investment there it is it's the the kingdom heavenly bank and when we live lives of generosity we can we can trust and believe that we are storing up treasures in heaven that god sees that he's honored by it and there will be reward and so we're to seek the kingdom by living generously the early church did this they were so convinced that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that they, they sold their stuff and they gave to those who had need amongst them. They weren't weighed down by stuff. Actually, there was one family, Ananias and Sapphira, who dropped dead because they pretended that they were more pious than they really were in the selling of their stuff. Randy Alcorn, who's written a good deal about living generously, says that giving is the antidote to materialism. 
Jim Elliott, a missionary who was killed, said that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There's a perspective on life that we need to embrace. Martin Luther, Protestant reformer, said, I've held many things in my hands, and I've lost them all. (laughs) Can anybody relate to that? Where's my keys? Where's my phone? I've held many things in my hands, and I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. And so we need, we need to learn to go from, instead of being like this, like, like with an orphan mentality, like, oh, I got to get mine. I got to fend for myself to like this. And allow the Father to take our hand and lead us. He graciously, he opens his hand. He tells us to open our hand to those who are in need. And so seek the kingdom by living generously. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so where is your heart? Where is your heart today? What story does your spending tell about your heart, where it's at? What story does your use of time Reveal about your heart. What story does the subject of your conversation reveal about your heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where's your heart? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so let me close with a couple points of application. First of all, evaluate where your heart is today. Based on the use of your time, your treasure, and your talk? Are you content with what you have currently? Or is there a nagging desire for more? Can you just rest in contentment? Like, God, you've given me what I need. Are you anxious about not having enough? Now, many of Jesus' audience were poor. Many folks in Jesus' audience were poor. His, many of his disciples were poor. And this was a temptation. and was, was in his day, and, and it's a temptation for us today to be anxious about having enough. We have a good father who's looking out for us. He cares about us. Identify a needy person in your life that you can share with. There is so much joy in, in giving. If you've never experienced the thrill of opening your hand to somebody in need and and being a blessing to them by your act of kindness, you're missing out. There's so much joy in giving of yourself, your time, your resources. And sometimes it doesn't make it doesn't make sense, you know, like sometimes it feels like you don't feel as excited about doing so and it feels more like a duty or an obligation and you do it and it's like you leave feeling like overwhelmed with joy. Like, wow, I got to participate in, in what God was doing in this simple way, this simple act of kindness, this simple act of service to somebody who's in need. Jesus himself said, and Paul quotes him in, in Acts 20, he says, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Do we believe that? Because this is the antidote to materialism, to greed, to covetousness. And lastly, 
let your cares and desires be talking points in your conversations with God. Allow God or allow the conversation to move from those cares and desires to God's kingdom agenda. When you approach God in prayer and in your Bible reading and all you got on your mind is this worry or all you got on, all you got on your mind is this thing that you want, talk to God about it. If that's where you need to start with God, start there. Start with our Father in heaven. Let's talk to your dad in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom. Think about who he is and then allow the conversation to be brought from your cares and your desires, these things that are preoccupying your thoughts and your emotional life to be wrapped up with who God is and what his good plan is, what his agenda is for your life and for the world and pray it, your kingdom come, your will be done. We get the joy of participating with what God is doing in this world. And we can do so by being generous. We can do so by praying. We can do so by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people can hear the good news and believe and have everlasting life and have their life and their family changed by coming to know Jesus. And so let's be a kingdom people. Let's push back on the American dream. Let's push back on the stuffed life and let's allow God to fill us with his spirit, allow God to fill us with his word and what he says about life. Be aware of being wiser than the Bible. God knows what life is really about and how we are to live it. And we would do well to submit to his word, tried and true, faithful word. Amen? Would you bow with me in prayer?